We have three bars. Right there? Yes? Coming through? Kinda. No kinda here. Okay. Okay. We will uh, we will project. We'll just pretend that it's there. Okay. Well, praise God. Um, it is a uh, the curious time that we're in. There's all kinds of stuff going on in the world. Um, there was uh, last week. It all began. It was kind of a surprise, and all the things that are going on in Israel, and people are some people are freaked out. Some people are just taking it in stride. And thank God that we will know that. Uh, God is in control, and that uh, we needn't worry about it. It's going to be what it is, and that he's, uh, he's well aware of it. And He will hold all things together regardless. Um, as it says in Scripture, He holds all things together, both visible and invisible. So in the invisible, He's working, as He always does providentially, praise God. And uh, this morning is no exception. It's the same thing. It's... Uh, it's uh, as I said earlier, this, uh, this day, it's a privilege to be able to worship God, to get to know Him, and that we can know Him. Um, because in our former lives, we wanted nothing to do with Him. In, our, in my former life, I'd be getting ready for the next game and, uh, you know, stocking up on the beer and all the other stuff. That's what I would be doing. But not anymore. This is, God has just changed our hearts and praise God for His transformative love. And that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be listening to and reading in Isaiah 49. We're going to be in verses 12 through 7. Um, I touched on 12 yes, last week, but I, I think it was, um, it was appropriate to bring it back to light in light of the, the Scriptures. And so in Isaiah 49, verses 12 through 17, it is the song of God's eternal love. With all the craziness that's going on, all the corruption in the White House, and the illegitimacy there, and all the things that are happening in the world where the media is trying to manipulate our minds and our hearts. They're trying to make us believe things that are not true, and they think that by saying them over and over again that people will fall in line, and they do. It's sad. That's why my TV's off and has been for four years now. I don't miss it a bit. It doesn't bother me at all. I, don't, I mean, I don't miss it at all. Uh, when my sister comes, she can't help it. She has to be watching it. And uh, even then, I'm like, eh, who cares? It's all lies. It's all manipulation. I don't, I don't care to see any of it. But in this time, this is where God begins to speak with His people. And He's speaking in such a way that even though they're going through um, their captivity, and remember, this is a time far off yet, God is comforting His people in the midst of their sin and rebellion, in the midst of their captivity because of their sin and rebellion, God is reminding the people of, of something amazing, and that is His love. That God in His omniscience, He doesn't forget His love for His people. And He will not forsake His people. Um, this we should find comfort in. We really should. Because if we know ourselves and what we're guilty of, even after being saved, we should know that God's love for us outweighs 
and is bigger and stronger and more powerful than any sinful thing that we can do. And it's because of His love that He remembers. And praise God for that, that He remembers His love um, for His people, that He has chosen to do this. It's a song of His redeeming love. And that's why it's so important. Because of the fact that He does redeem. He does make new. He does change people. And as I've said before in a prior message, it's, it's uh, the, uh, the misnomer that, well, you just, you just need to give your heart to Jesus. It's a misnomer. He doesn't want your heart. He wants to give you a new one. And that's what He does. He wants to bring you to life. And that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at those things. Uh, last week we read in verse 12 that those who are of God are called from all corners of the earth. That's good news. Because that means the gospel is available to everyone. All over the world. It doesn't matter where they're at. Even in those places where we look at the um, certain peoples and people groups that have certain beliefs and religions that are opposed to the gospel, to the actual truth of the Bible. And they say that they're for God. Kerry kind of mentioned this a little bit in the, in his, uh, um, as he was um, speaking. You have people that say that they believe in God, and they have a misunderstanding of who God is. It's a God of their own imagination. And it's, it's interesting, um, Christianity never tries to align itself with all of those religions. It's always the religions that try to align themselves with Christianity and with the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? Why do they? Why does Islam? Why does Mormonism? Why do all these other religions, these false religions, always try to align themselves with, oh, we believe in the Bible. We just don't believe that it's pure. We believe that it's corrupted. It's like, well, show me where it's corrupted. Oh, well... All over the place. There's contradictions everywhere. Show me the contradictions. Well, it was written by man. And man's faulty. And it's like, well, show me where it's faulty. Crickets. Crickets. They always try to align themselves. And, and uh, Tim and, and Carrie hit on it earlier. That, that because what we believe and what we see here in Scripture, this is truth. And it can be counted on. And when something's not true, it will fail, ultimately. Especially when it, it uh, butts head with the truth. Truth will always overcome the lie. Because the light of truth overshadows. And once you bring a light into the darkness, the darkness flees. And the light takes over. And it's alerting us to the fact, where we're at in Isaiah 49, that God's redemption through His servant... Primarily, remember, he's in focus, that servant. And the servant isn't uh, the nation of Israel. The servant is one specific person that was spoken of who would come and bring all these things to fruition. He's alerting us to the fact of the redemption through his servant. And understand that it must be through his servant. And it cannot be any other way. It has to be through Jesus. There is no redemption apart from that. Um, right now, we're, uh, there's a lot of people focusing on, on Jewish things and, and Jewish beliefs and so on and so forth. And sadly, the majority of the Jewish people have rejected Jesus. 
And with all due respect, they're going to suffer for it unless they turn from their sin, repent of their unbelief and their disbelief. And this is what we're going to find here. God addresses this in this portion of Scripture. And today it's no different. It doesn't matter what a person does when it comes to being saved because you cannot save yourself. And we're going to see that it is strictly through the servant and it's glorious when it takes place. It's wondrous. It's amazing. There there aren't enough words to describe how marvelous and miraculous that it really is that God would save unlovable, unredeemable wretches like us. And He does because He has the power to do so, just like was said earlier. Why does God choose to save some people? Because He can. And it's only because of that. The gospel is for people everywhere, all over the world. And no one is excluded. Here at Calvary City on a Hill, we believe that God calls, His call is for His chosen, for His elect. However, His elect are all over the world. They're everywhere. We don't know who they are. So therefore, we preach the gospel on the streets, and our places of business and work, uh, to our customers, when we, if those of us who, who work, we, we preach the gospel to anyone and everyone that will listen. Why? Because we don't know. But guess who does? God. And He draws them. And it's available to every people everywhere, all over the earth, and at any time of His choosing, He will cause the regeneration of His people. Instantly. And He does so because He can. And when he, does, when he deems to do it so, He chooses to do it. We don't know when that's going to take place. You just never know when God's going to move in someone's heart and mind to cause them to understand, hey, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. So if you are regenerate or born again, as Jesus calls it, it's because of God and His infinite love. It's because God has moved in His, in His sovereignty to do so, to cause you to be born again. None of us can be born again on our own. It's not something that we do. And it's because of His infinite love, and it's because of His mercy, and it's because that He has chosen to do this and cause you your rebirth, and cause you to be His adopted son or daughter, And He has called you and He has called me to spiritual life in doing so. See, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And God has quickened us, called us to life. Life everlasting. He calls us to life. He brings us from the grave. He draws us out of the deadness of our sin and trespasses. And He brings us to spiritual life. That's what He does. Because God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And it's His love, His grace that works on our hearts and minds to change us. We were conceived in the spiritual death. We were born dead in our trespasses and sin. But God has remedied that problem. That in Christ Jesus, our Lord, He has done so. 
The remedy is in Christ for that sickness of sin, for that deadness in our soul. To the glory of God alone. Let's read these passages and then we'll go into a short time of prayer and then we will continue in the, in the message. So in Isaiah 49, starting in verse 12. Here's where God says, Behold, these shall come from afar. And lo, these will come from the north and from the west. And these from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted His people, and He will have compassion on His afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? And have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you for your goodness and your grace that you remember that we are your people, that you remember that Israel are your people, and that you will not forgive, for you will not forget, and you will not um, turn your love away from your people. And you have chosen to do so, and we thank you. We thank you for that great love, that wonderful love, that transformative love, that transcendent love, that only can come from a God who created the heavens and the earth, the one described in Scripture, in Holy Writ. Thank you for being that God. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being the God who saves and redeems, and the God who loves in a way that we can't even describe fully. We don't even know how to express it. Your wonderful love. We only know that it's perfect. Thank you for being perfect in love perfect in grace, perfect in all that you do. You are that perfect God who we adore. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you. We pray now open up our eyes, ears, mind, and heart to these truths. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. He says, behold, these will come from afar, and lo, those will come from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. These writings of Isaiah are reminiscent, and they remind me of Something that was said by Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus speaks similar words. In John chapter 11, it's one of those that I've memorized, and I don't have to turn to it, but I do because I want to get every word just right. And in John chapter 11, in, this, in the midst of, of, um, of what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, he, he says this in Matthew 11, excuse me, Matthew 11, I think I was saying John, I was getting all excited, uh, it's Matthew chapter 11, 
And Jesus says this as he's ex- explaining what he's, he's talking about. Um, he gives an invitation, and this is the only invitation that we see where, where Jesus himself mimics or has the same kind of language that we see in Isaiah. And Isaiah, of course, is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is even there. And he says, let's start in verse 25. It just seems like we should start right there. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and did reveal them to babes. Did you know that you're babes? You can say that if you're a believer. Hey, I'm a babe, all right? (laughs) Don't forget it. Um, That's what he says. He says, you've revealed these to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now this is an important passage. Because what Jesus is saying here is you cannot come to know Christ. You cannot come to know the Father unless he reveals him. It's an act of God. And that's an important thing for us to understand. Because here at Calvary, City on a Hill, we're not slaves to free will. We don't, we believe that we all have will, and it's somewhat free, but not truly free. It is in bondage. And so we do have some choice in the matter, but... That's after God has begun to do His work in us. Because He says here, um, No one can know the Father except whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And then here's the invitation. And here's where I was going. He says, Come to me. In Isaiah, He says, Behold, all those who are from the north and the west and the Sinim will come from afar. And here Jesus fulfills this by saying, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. That's the invitation that he gives to people everywhere. Come to me, he says. Just come. You come as you are. He'll change you. He'll do the changing. He'll give you a new heart. He will cause you to be born again. You just come. And we come by faith. This is what he says. This is the only rest that we will ever know on this side of eternity. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. There's no amount of work that you can do. There's no amount of good things that you can do. There's no amount of giving that you can do. There's no amount of of opening your home or clothing the naked or feeding the hungry. There's no amount of visiting the sick in the hospitals or whatever. There's no amount of any of those things that you can do to impress God enough to save you. 
There shall be no flesh justified by works of the law. He says, just come. If you're weary and you're heavy burdened. And I know a lot of people who have come out of the LDS church, and that's one of the things that they say, man, I was trying to do all this stuff. I was so busy, I couldn't even stop to think. And when I started seeing the truth, it started unfolding. But it took me to stop and have to take time to do this. And as I did that, God's Spirit worked within me, and He began to open me up and teach me that everything that I'd been taught was a lie. And it was wrong. It's not about all those things. It's good to do them. We're accused as Christians in this environment of not believing in good works. Well, that's a lie. And sometimes you need to shock people. Okay, you don't do it on purpose. You don't go out looking to shock people. But sometimes you can say to people, well, that's a lie. That's not true. We believe in good works. We just don't think that good works get God's attention. That's not what makes us right before God. We believe in good works because He already forgave us our sin. He's already redeemed us. He's already removed our guilt from us. And because of His love, that's what forces us or pushes us and commits us to doing good. That's what does it. It's His transformative love. For Jesus is our rest. Not just for the here and the now, but for all eternity. He is and will be forever and ever our Sabbath, our Shabbat. He will be that rest. He is that rest. And when we enter into His rest, we should understand that we can be at rest. It's not about all the things we do. It's about what God has done, what Christ has done on the cross. That He took our sin and it was placed there on Him. As we spoke about last week, as we heard and read in Isaiah 53... He was wounded for our transgression. And by His stripes we are healed. In verse 13, I love this, Shout for joy, O heavens. And you just get this picture of these angels and those who have gone before. They're shouting for joy because of what God has announced that all these people are going to come and they're going to be saved. God's going to save them from everywhere. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into shouting, or joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people. That's what He does. He comforts His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. Are you afflicted today? Would you like comfort and compassion? Then come to Jesus. The Lord will have compassion. He will comfort His people. And I love the fact that it's just um, written in such a way that He will do this. It's not a question. It's not something that we have to be in question about. These shouts of joy and rejoicing are recorded in heaven. And some are for the creation to sing and some for His people to sing. These are songs of His victories over His enemies. 
that of Israel and ours. It's the song that we sing because God has triumphed. It's that, that t-shirt that Carrie was given. God wins. Dare I say, real love wins. God wins. We've read the final chapter. We see that God is the one who will ultimately be glorified. If you remember, this isn't the first time that we've heard Isaiah exclaim for people to shout for joy. In Isaiah 44, verse 23, he says, Shout for joy, O heavens. Sounds exactly the same. For the Lord has done it. Past tense. It's a done deal. Signed, sealed, delivered. We're His. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains. O forest and every tree in it. The same kind of language, the same kind of exclamation. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. And in Israel he shows forth his glory. It does say in Romans, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, that God is not done with Israel. That he's going to send... His Spirit to save this remnant of Israel. But He's also saving and He saved the true spiritual Israel as well. And that would be the believer. That would be the Gentile believer. We enter into that position. We are the true spiritual Israel. Those who just take God at His word and believe it. These are uh, exclamations that are given because of God's victory over sin and death, but He's saving His people in doing so in His victory. And He's done so through the cross. And in Revelation chapter 15, you have similar language. And it's throughout Revelation, really, when you have all these exclamations of all these things. And in Revelation chapter 15... Similar words are spoken. And it says in Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 through 4, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. So there's that idea of being in heaven and playing, playing, playing those harps. But it's the harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses. So they're singing. It's a concert, y'all. If you like to, uh, you know, get down and get funky, we're going to do that in heaven. Because they were singing. And there is singing. There's rejoicing. And the bondservant, he said, sing the song of, they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Hmm. Saying, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. You see, there's that invitation. All nations, all peoples, everywhere. For your righteous acts have been revealed. And this is on the heels 
of the last seven plagues that will be unfolded at that time. They're rejoicing because these are the last plagues for all time. And then will come the end. And they're singing of the glorious works of our God and King. And they're glorious because all nations will come and worship before Him. Those who had rejected Him will come. Those who had never known Him will come. Those who had never heard of Him will come. Everywhere, from people everywhere. All the people of the world will gather for worship. And it's one of those things that we should get used to, is to worship. I hope you woke up this morning with the expectancy to come and worship. Because that's what we're going to do for all eternity. You best get better at the practice right now, because that's what we're going to do for eternity, is worship. Back in Isaiah 49, um, in verse 14, it says this, But Zion, the people of Zion, the voice of Zion says, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever felt like that? In the midst of trouble, in the midst of times of distress, pain, suffering, God has forgotten about me. Woe is me. And you turn into Eeyore. <laughs> God's forgotten. I've got no joy. God will not forget. The Lord has forsaken me, they said. The Lord has forgotten me. Remember, they're in the midst of captivity. And in the midst of their captivity, they've also, unfortunately, they've fallen into idolatry. It's no wonder if they believe that God's forgotten about them. But the forgotten, those who seem to think that they're forgotten, it seems to them that God has abandoned Judah during the exile. And we in our flesh tend to disbelieve God in His Word. We do. How many people would admit that? We oftentimes find ourselves not believing what God has said. Because of our not understanding that He... Um, in his own way, on his own terms, in his own purpose, he states that he will never leave his bride. He will never leave his people. He will never forget them. And that's a good thing to understand. When we're in the midst of this disbelief or unbelief or doubt, it's important to not go, as we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, it's important to not believe our hearts. It's not about how you feel. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that are in distress and they say, I just can't feel God. I can't remember the last time I felt God. Well, didn't he say that he would never leave you or forsake you? Yeah, but I don't feel him. Don't feel like his presence is near me. It's like, but didn't he say he would never leave you or forsake you? That's why we are so impressed with what the word says, not about our feelings. 
It's not about how we feel, whether we feel euphoric and all these things. It's about the fact, has God said? And he says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. They cry, the Lord has forgotten me, and the Lord, or the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. God has already promised that He would redeem His people. As we read in uh, uh, His people in chapter 44. And Jesus Himself has stated that He would never leave His bride. If you remember what He said after the resurrection in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is how it reads. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Huh. Disciples that worship a man? The risen king. Who is worthy of worship? God alone. Only God. It's another proof text for saying Jesus may not have said that he was God here, but Matthew wrote, we worshiped him. Showing that he is God the Son. And then it says, but some were still doubtful. Some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, that's what His promise is. Even to the very end of the very last minute, the very last hour, the very last minute, the very last second of this age that we understand before it slips into the next age. He says, I'm going to be there. I'm there with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And praise God for that. We should rejoice like the heavens are called to. We should rejoice and shout, praise God. I will never be alone. I will never be left. I will always be with him and he will always be with me because he has said so. Even if I tend to stray, even if I tend to wander, he is my shepherd who will call me back home. And if not, he'll come and get you himself. Amen? Our God is immutable. He doesn't change. It's a fancy word for He's unchanging. He's unchangeable. He's steadfast and true in every sense of the word. He cannot lie, therefore, when He states His promise to not forget His compassions for His people. He will do just that, not forget. He does choose, however, to choose to forgive or to forget our guilt and shame, and sin because of what Jesus has paid, what Jesus purchased at the cross. 
And that's what we here want people to know, Christ crucified for sin, to take away our guilt, the bloodshed that cleanses us from all our guilty shame. Verses 15 and 16, he asks that question, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? The answer, sadly, is yes. We see that. We see that in an organization called Planned Parenthood. Just the other day, reading a story here in Utah, a young girl, 18-year-old, she had uh, found herself in a situation where she was pregnant. She gave birth prematurely. The baby was going to require special needs for a while. She, just barely having turned 18, decided that she just wanted to be an 18-year-old girl again and neglected the baby. The baby died. She tried to cover it up. That's why God asks this question. Because this love is supposed to be the most incredible love that a person can have that a human being can express, is the love of a mother for her child. And God says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? And the answer is yes. Sadly, they can. You see it all the time. And it's gotten worse. Women who have been brainwashed into believing this feminist nonsense, and it's hardened their hearts. And they don't understand the value of being a mother, being feminine, and being a woman. They've been brainwashed to believe a lie. And God says, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. I will not forget you. And then he says this, and this is incredible. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He says of his people, those who are his, he says, on the palm of my hands, I have you inscribed. That's an incredible scene. I'm reminded of a scene. I can't help but think of, of the marks that are left on the risen Christ. The marks that are on his hands. The reminders of his love for his people. And although they were most likely nails to the wrists in the ancient times, that was considered part of the hand. And he sees them, and he is inevitably reminded of the people for which he paid to redeem the true spiritual Israel. Also the scene in Luke on the road to Emmaus. I can't help but think of. On the day when Jesus had risen again, two people were headed back on the road to Emmaus in Luke. And you have this scene where Cleopas and I believe it's Simon that are walking back. And all of a sudden they come upon a stranger. And he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? They're like, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know? Know what? 
<laughs> and they tell him, oh, this person that we believed in, Jesus, he was crucified, he was buried, he died. We thought that he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was the one. But alas. Jesus' response was, oh, foolish. Slow of heart to believe. Don't you believe what was written about him? And then he began to express what it is that, that he did and all the things concerning him. And they get to the place of the home and it's getting dark and, and they invite him in and he kind of acts like, ah, I'm just going to keep going. And they insist and he comes in. And then when he comes in and sits down and partakes of their table and breaks bread and give thanks. And think about what it takes to break the bread. And he hands it to them. And all of a sudden their eyes were opened, it says in Scripture. Their eyes were closed until then. Soon as their eyes were opened, they're like, yo, it's him! <laughs> it's the one! All of a sudden, they're changed. And they get up to go tell the story. That's kind of what happens, right, when you're saved. Soon as you have that encounter, you want to go tell somebody. Yeah. Unless God opens them up. And it was the same with Cleopas and Simon. They wanted to tell. Let's go back. And you know the interesting thing is they say, Don't, wasn't our hearts on fire? There were, it was burning within us when he was explaining those things and opening up the scriptures to us. It's the burning of love. The love of God burning in their heart. The love of God expressing Himself to those who are lost. They were blind one minute ago, now they see. They were deaf a minute ago, couldn't hear it. Now they know and understand. They were silent because they were sad, because they thought that it was over, but it had only begun. And they came to life. That's what happened. And they went back and told their brothers, He's alive! Simon saw him. He came. He showed himself to us. That's what happens. He was inscribed on the palms of their hands. They were inscribed in his hands. And he showed himself to them. That's what they saw. And they knew that it was him. And they rejoiced. And the hearts were on fire because of that love the expression, the, the way that Jesus taught. See, Jesus was no mere teacher. He was a teacher above and far beyond anybody. He was the teacher of teachers. He was the master teacher. He was on a level so far above any doctorate. And when He teaches, your heart is on fire because He changes your heart. And I think about that. The breaking of the bread as he handed them the broken bread. Their eyes were open and they remarked how their hearts burned while speaking to them on the road. Perhaps the way in which he spoke to them teaching that they were reminded of the teacher, the greatest teacher ever. 
and that love they experienced in His presence. Because that's what changes you. That's what transforms us. That sense of, of peace. That sense of rest. That sense of fearlessness because you're not worried about anything in the world. Imagine Jesus actually being there with you. You don't have to imagine it. You just have to believe. He is there with you. He's there. He's here with us. That's what he said he would do. Remember, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Deuteronomy 31, he says this, and Deuteronomy is written in verses 5 and 8 of Deuteronomy. It says, The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong, courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. He's talking about the enemies. Talking about the giants, talking about those people. We hit on that a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, the Anakim, the Anak, the sons of Anak. He says, Be strong, do not be afraid, or tremble at them. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. Yes. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And that's still what he says today. Go. The lion of the tribe of Judah works within you. You needn't be afraid of anything or anyone. In 1 John... 4 verses 15 through 19. John writes this. <clears throat> he says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. You see, that's what was important. That was the central thing. He says, We have believed. The love which God has for us. And as I've confessed before, I struggle with that idea at times. A lot. That God really does love me. Because I know me. And sometimes I hate me. Okay, a lot of the times I hate me. And I struggle with this. How could God love somebody like me? And it's only because he chooses to. That's the only reason. He says, we have believed the love of God which he has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. The one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This is what the writers of the New Testament say. And finally in verse 17 it says, Your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. We have something put in juxtaposition here. Who are the builders? Your builders hurry. Commentators believe that it could be translated as your sons and daughters. The ones who will rebuild Jerusalem. The ones who will rebuild the cities. They're the ones who will hurry. And in juxtaposition, at the same time, those who destroyed you, those who were your devastators, they will depart from you. Why? Because God has said so. And as those, that remnant that will rebuild all these things, we're going to get into more next week, but for now we'll, we'll finish with this. He says, they will depart from you, your enemies, your devastators, your destroyers, those who would see you destroyed, namely the enemy. And I can't help but think of that scene in Revelation where our enemy, the devil, the dragon of old, Satan, it's tossed into the lake of fire once and for all. And I rejoice. And death is also cast into the lake of fire. No more death. It's an amazing thing. I want to finish with this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this. If you know the love of God, this is how we should act. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That doesn't just mean on an assembly on Sunday. That means every day. Every day you sacrifice who you are. That's what it means when you pick up daily your cross. You die to self. You die to your wants and your needs and all these things. And you live to Christ. You present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And in doing so, you worship Him every day. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable, that which is acceptable and perfect. You present your body as a living sacrifice. When you wake up and you hit your knees, if you do so on a regular basis, present yourself as a living sacrifice. God, where are you working today? Help me to see it so I can join you and do what you call me to do. Help me to be who you want me to be.
Help me to die to self today so that I can be used of you. As Paul says, I urge you by the mercies of God. And here's the thing. We have the privilege. And because of God's spirit burning within us, we have the ability to present our bodies as a living sacrifice every day. We have that opportunity. Have you been transformed by the eternal transcendent love of God? Redeemed and forgiven? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and that He ascended to heaven to sit at the mighty right hand of God, the Father, in His rightful place? Do you know Him, His peace, His assurance that He indeed loves you? It's a hard thing to struggle with. No, if you don't, repent of your sin. Confess them to Him and ask Him to forgive you by faith. On the basis of the work of Christ on the cross, on your behalf, and be saved, be redeemed, be loved eternally. Otherwise, the place in eternity for you is hell. And then the lake of fire. Turn from sin, trust in Him, and be saved and rejoice like the heavens. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your kindness and how you love us. We thank you for the love that transforms us, that you do in us the inexplicable. You do in us the impossible. We thank you that you give us new hearts that you change us and that we can come as we are because you're the one who will change us immediately. Help us, Lord, to present our bodies as living sacrifices to you every day for your namesake and for your glory's sake. Help our unbelief, Lord, and help us in those areas that we are weak. For where we are weak, you said that you would be strong. And we believe you. And we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. All of these things we cry out and pray in faith. The mighty, the glorious, the powerful, and the unmatched name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.